Welcome to the podcast. I'm Bruce Moe of Commonwealth Magazine, and I'm joined by my colleague Michael Jonas and Steve Cazella, the president of the Mass Inc. Polling Group. Wednesday night, Gary Johnson and Bill Weld, the Libertarian Party candidates for president and vice president, were given some national exposure on a CNN town hall. We're going to talk about how they did and what their chances are of making a difference in this year's race for president. Let's start with how did they come across last night? Well, I thought that uh, they did pretty well. I think there was something, uh, if we talk about the Libertarians as being a little different, I thought there was something a little different about them. Johnson, the presidential candidate, is certainly not sort of your conventional picture of that, starting even just with his kind of less-than-orthodox hairdo. Uh, there was jokes made that he almost always wears sneakers. I guess he really dressed up for the occasion. They were teasing him, and put shoes on. But, uh, but even beyond that, I thought that even in, you know, even in their focus, they didn't, there, there wasn't a lot of, uh, uh, sort of warm, you know, sort of efforts to kind of endear themselves to the crowd. I just thought, didn't think they acted like sort of politicians on the stump. It was a lot more sort of wonky policy-like, which I think is kind of going to be their calling card in some ways. I think you're right, Michael. The, um, I thought Weld actually, in a lot of respects, did a better job of simplifying what they wanted to say and making it clear, whereas Johnson just sort of seemed to um, struggle. At times he turned to Weld, but, but Bill, you want to jump in here. And, right. and I think he was looking for help at some times because uh, he was ha having a little hard time articulating positions. He would get drawn off into tangents and... Right. And, and, and whereas Weld just sort of said it simply, you know, our goal is to get out of your pocketbook and get out of your bedroom. Right. And He's got it boiled right down to that line that I think telegraphs a lot of it. Yeah. And I, I thought, um, I was, I'm curious what you guys think about, um, so you, this was a town hall with the two candidates of the Libertarian Party. Most people probably think Libertarians are some sort of wacko group, don't know much about them. So this was a chance to sort of say who we are and what we stand for. How do you think they did in sort of in, in defining themselves? I mean, I, I thought they did a pretty good job. And again, I'd agree with you that Weld kind of carried the, carried the ball on that. And the thing that I'm most struck by about their attempt to sort of define themselves is that as much as I think people who really understand the libertarian philosophy do see it as kind of a fringe viewpoint. I mean, it's very extreme on, on any number of issues, but Weld really is trying to, and Johnson too, they're trying to position themselves as kind of the reasonable, sort of almost centrist alternative in the middle of the other two, which, you know, I think is pretty smart. I think it's a little at odds with, with what we've thought of uh, libertarians as being. But maybe it, it works, you know, in the dynamic of this race with, with Clinton and Trump. Uh, you know, at one point, Weld said, we reject the extremes of both parties, which I just thought was, was almost funny since, again, the libertarians are way out there on, you know, tax issues or, you know, uh, I mean, both Weld and Johnson have much more moderate positions on drugs. But the, the kind of pure libertarian view would be to legalize, you know, drugs completely. Yeah. Uh, so those are not sort of, you know, 
you know, compromised positions that, against the two extremes. But I think that I think that's their their key is to sort of people who are dis, dissatisfied with the alternatives. I think they have an easier time, frankly. And I think this is clearly their game plan. They're going to have an easier time getting sort of disaffected Republicans or people who don't like Trump. And that became clear too when they were kind of the the imbalance in their critiques of the two major party candidates. They're really, I think, trying to go after Trump voters, and they're clearly trying to go after Republican Trump, Trump what, what might be Trump money otherwise. I thought, the, um, I thought they did a reasonably good job of, in broad brush strokes, sort of laying out what's the difference, but what's the difference about a libertarian. But um, had a little problem. This was a town hall, so voters were asking questions. And I think their perceptions going in was, you want to legalize all drugs, including heroin. And um, so Johnson had to walk that back. Oh, no, we just right. were talking about marijuana. And then um, guns. You, you let everybody just have any gun they want. No, no, we're walking that back, just like you said, trying to be more moderate. But it got a little more complicated when they talked about, like, foreign policy. So it, in, a, in a broad brushstroke, it makes sense. We're, we're not going, we want a, a, a powerful army and air force and navy, but we're not going to be intervening all across the globe. But it got a little more complicated when they tried to explain what that meant in specific situations. Uh, they have work cut out for them there because, you know, voters in many, in, you know, decades of study, many voters just look for the partisan cue. Um, they they know uh, which party they prefer on different issues. They know which which party you know they tend to vote for, and that's what they look for. Whereas Gary Johnson and and Bill Weld have to essentially persuade people a to unlearn what they already know about libertarianism, if anything, and b that to vote for them because of their positions. Which, as much as voters would like to think that that's why we vote for who we vote for, there's so many that it's, it's just the party cue. You know, it's just the party cue. You go and pull the lever almost always for Democrats or al- almost always for Republicans. Um, you know, Johnson and Weld are trying, in a sense, to position themselves in the middle, but doing so by, you know, they have positions on both sides. You know, their average position is probably somewhere between Clinton and Trump, even though individual positions might be to the right of Trump or to the left of Clinton. Um, so, but that—that's the challenge they have—is just is getting past the partisan cues, since that's not going to be enough. You know, there aren't enough libertarians to get them anywhere meaningful. Yeah, they talked about. I think the health care came up and the Affordable Care Act, and this is a complicated subject. And you know, they become Republicans want to repeal the Affordable Care Act, and the Democrats want to retain it. Johnson, and he was talking about it, he clearly wants to add competition to the system, but it was a little fuzzy about will he do away with it, and he's sort of saying it's up to the, you know, the Congress to offer up something, but I couldn't, I didn't feel like he articulated a, yeah. a clear position there. And I thought, especially on that, that he really ran the risk of, of uh, running way off the libertarian playbook. I think at one point he said, uh, you know, we'll, we would kind of take what exists, the current structure, which would be the Affordable Care Act, when we come there, and he, he sounds, you know, much more toward the middle and more sympathetic to it than the Republicans who voted, what, like eight times in the House to try to repeal it. He said, we'll look at it, and he said, if, if it would cover people and do it at a reasonable cost, then it's something that we could live with. Well, that's not a libertarian tenant to say, you know, just provide the greatest good at the lowest cost. I mean, it, it still flies in the face of kind of libertarian thinking with 
the mandate and all the kind of government subsidies, but he almost seemed ready to throw that stuff out the window if it, if it met some other standard. Uh, so I just thought, I, the other time when I really thought that he was sort of tossing the libertarian playbook out was when uh, Chris Cuomo, the CNN anchor, tried to really drill down on his tax policy. And then Johnson said, oh, I think we're getting too into the weeds, which I thought was kind of a funny turnabout. You know, usually it would be a reporter trying to pull a candidate back from getting too into the details. And it almost seemed like Johnson was a little reluctant to try to defend, I think they were talking about a consumption tax, and, and he, he, he didn't really want to sort of try to defend it, you know, at the nitty-gritty level. And again, it was more like we've got kind of a broad brushstroke of how we'd like to approach things. You know, and Weld also then, and also when we had him at an event here at Mass Inc. a couple of weeks ago, you know, he said, oh, I don't think we need to abolish the IRS. So they're, they're, they're considerably more tempered, I think, than the, the sort of most doctrinaire kind of libertarian positions would have you think. Yeah, and, it, and yet it was um, somewhat refreshing, the two of them sitting there. And as you said, they differed on the IRS. Weld said, I don't think we need to get rid of it. Johnson said we should. And Johnson's sort of saying to Weld, you know, why don't you take this one, Bill? Uh, and the questioners are used to the traditional way where you ask the presidential candidate and the vice president is sort of an afterthought. The two of them seem to be talking as a team. They even sort of made a joke of it. I think Cuomo said, you get two for the price of one. one. And Weld said, no, no, you get two for the price of two. He right. wanted to make sure he was going to get his paycheck, I think, if he if he's yeah. elected. But um, I, found, I found that dynamic sort of interesting. They sort of seem like they're figuring it out as they go along, and it's not totally scripted, and it's not, it's clearly not totally scripted. But um, so that was appealing, you know, in a way. Um, but I, I think it's, it's, it's new, and so it's sort of hard for someone to get their heads about well, which one's in charge here, who's calling the shots, and you know, that sort of thing. Sometimes it seemed like well knew more about it, particularly on foreign policy issues. Yeah, and I thought at the very beginning Cuomo tried to kind of just sort of rattle them a little bit by throwing out that uh, this comment that I guess Mitt Romney made that. He'd almost entertain supporting the ticket if if the roles were reversed right. and if if Weld were on top. And I think that that Romney's comment does kind of cut to a, a something broader that a lot of people see, which is that Weld just seems, in some ways, to be the guy with more heft. Well, they've here. got time to figure it out too. I mean, this this was a, a town hall, you know, many months before the election, and a lot of people were paying attention in in the primary, and a lot of people will pay attention in September. But there's a bit of a lull right now, really. So I think. They've got time before voters will really punish them for not having their act together, you know. And and any lack of you know lack of having their their uh, speaking styles in sync or whatever we want to call it, I think is is <clears throat> many times less than the problems that other candidates have already faced on the stump. So I wouldn't say anything that happened last night will really hurt them long term in terms of their their presentation, or or it seems unlikely. You know, they'll have plenty of time um, if they can continue to grow and continue to advance in the polls, they'll have lots of time on the stage. You know, there's, in a way that there hasn't been in, in years past, a, an openness to, to hearing the message from somebody other than just a Democrat or Republican. You know, maybe since 92 or 96, you know, we haven't seen anything quite like this. Um, so th they'll have time. They'll have more time on the stage, I think, to, to figure it out, to figure out that presentation. So talk a little bit more about that. Th this time, a lot of people think, you know, whatever their chance is, they have a better shot at it this year than, than in, in a long time. 
talk a little about what the what do the polls show? What do, what do you see in that regard? Yeah, I mean, what they have already, the nine to eleven percent, which is about the range they they've been in, is better than we've seen in a while. Um, you know, you often see third party candidates at four or five or six. You, that's usually more than they end up getting, but they don't even they don't even get that much in the polls as much as Johnson and Weld are getting right now. They don't even get that much in the polls in most years. So they are doing better. Um, and there, there's some dynamics that suggest that it could continue to grow, which is why some pollsters are um, including a third party candidate in ways that they might not usually do so. Um, both Clinton and Trump are seen just extremely unfavorably. You know, this has been broadly covered. I'm not breaking any news here, um, but historically unfavorably. Um, you know, Trump for a while was was the the story was he's the least popular candidate ever to win a nomination, and uh, the second least is Hillary Clinton. <laughs> so you've got so that puts her in the driver's seat, <laughs> <laughs> right? You've got about a third, a third, a third in some polls. You know, a third like Clinton, a third like Trump, and a third like neither. Like not will vote for. Um, you know, so some voters will just hold their nose and and pick one, but there's. Uh, it seems like there's an opening, that there's some ground left in, on the battlefield that's not usually there. And that's why, uh, that's why it seems like Johnson and Weld may have some opportunities that others don't. It, and there's been a lot of you know, efforts to try to tease out who they would draw from, more, yeah. and I'm not that clear on it. Although I, I guess I've come down on the side that they really will hurt Trump more and that their entry is really kind of a reflection of the desperation or the, uh, you know, shock of some Republicans at, at this guy that they're about to nominate. And I don't think, you know, it can be lost on you that they were both Republican governors. I mean, if you sort of start yeah. to, you know, tally, tally up the sort of profile of what they bring, you know, yeah. what struck me is that in some ways, uh, what they really are, I mean, the labels become a little bit Fungible, so you could call them libertarians. I think that you could also just really say they're kind of like Northeast Republicans. And Weld really tried to hammer home the point that you know that, that these views he's exp he's expressing now are not that different than the ones he had in office. Johnson says the same. He obviously was not a Northeast Republican. He was in New Mexico, but I think they acted a lot like mm. like like sort of Northeast Republicans when when you know fiscal conservatism, which. Trump really has not displayed at all. So if that's the sort of thing that draws you to the Republican Party, Trump isn't really offering that to you. Yeah. And and the sort of more you know moderate so positions on social issues. The the polling suggests they're drawing from both. Maybe, right. Some show slightly, perhaps slightly more from Trump, which I agree would be the expectation. You know, the idea that a libertarian candidate is going to siphon support from a Democrat is not. Automatic. You wouldn't think that. You know. You wouldn't. Right. But it, maybe this be, Democrat is the exception. It the is. Reason. And and part of the reason is that some of the people that say that they would support Hillary Clinton are people who don't want to vote for Donald Trump. You know, they're never the ne so-called never Trump crowd. It's like I'm a Republican. I vote Republican, but I can't do it this time, so I'm going to vote for Hillary Clinton. And then you offer them Gary Johnson and Bill Weld, and there they go. You know, we saw that in a New Hampshire poll where we actually put on Mitt Romney. And that, this was before Johnson and Weld had officially been nominated, so we put Romney on there as a as a third party, and even Mitt Romney, who's you know has not abandoned his Republican label or become a libertarian, even he pulled about half from Clinton and about half from Trump, a bit more from Trump, but just really interesting to see that that um, even among supporters of the Democrat, there's a desire among many of them for someone else to support, but. But it, they do have a big 
challenge here. Yes. Because I, I took a look, um, and I think because of Weld, I saw that the the Globe wrote a story about that town hall forum last, last night. Um, Boston.com did. Uh, CNN, of course, did it big. But there weren't a whole lot. There wasn't a whole lot of news coverage of these guys, and I think that's going to be a problem because they basically admitted that they have no money right now, and they are going to rely on free media. So they've got to grab the stage one way or another and get people to pay attention to them and get the media to pay attention to them as well as pollsters because mm-hmm. they sort of re- acknowledged that last night that they have to get into polls and get pollsters to put them on their surveys or they have no shot of getting on the debates, which is crucial to their having any chance of, of yeah. garnering support. It's, it's an interesting circle in a way because if they weren't getting 9 or 10 or 11%, the odds that CNN would have even had that town hall seem pretty slim. You know, if he was getting 2% or 1% like he got in 2012, would they have spent a whole evening with, you know, a candidate at 1%? You know, will they do a Jill Stein town hall? I mean, perhaps they will. Maybe I'm wrong. But it seems like, you know, demonstrating that you seem to be going somewhere is a way to draw attention. Um, They actually have a specific goal, too, which is they have to get to 15% um, in order to get on the debate stage. So five... Polls, the specific polls haven't been announced, I don't believe. Um, in five polls, they have to hit 15% by sometime around or shortly after Labor Day. So when the debate commission figures out who's going to be on the stage, one of the things they're going to be looking at, in addition to, you know, are you qualified, are you on enough ballots to actually win, is uh, how are you doing in the polls? And they have to get to 15%. So, um, Johnson himself has admitted, um, that that's one of the things that they need. Like you said, you know, they need the exposure, they need the free exposure. Um, and improving in the polls will be good for that even before that, but to the debates are a big opportunity to break through and to do that, they have to get to 15. So then if they get, they get to 15, they get it on the debate stage. I still am unclear exactly what's the, what's the end game. I mean, I think you always have to say this when you're running. So I think Johnson said, well, then anything can happen. We don't preclude the possibility that we win this whole thing. Uh, they, they're probably the only two people who believe that in the end. So you've got you know, to figure there's, there's some goal or end game that's short of winning the election. And that's where you know, it's just sort of unclear to me if they're trying to shape the debate. Uh, you know, Again, I think there are some conspiracy theorists, especially after you hear the way they talked last night, who would think this is, you know, this is sort of an effort to, uh, you could either say that they're, they're determined to do in Trump or maybe help out Hillary. I mean, I don't think that these guys are spending the next however many months, you know, doing that. They're pretty serious people, but it's hard to not think that, that you know, the end result is going to be that they're going to they're gonna sort of tip this thing, you know, in favor of one candidate or the other. Yeah, I, I don't, you know, it's funny. I, that makes total sense to me, but I don't get the sense from listening to them that that's their, um, I mean, they're not going to admit that probably, but but I don't, especially with Johnson, the way he sort of is hemming and hawing, stumbling around a little bit, um, I don't get the sense that he wants to craft, a, you know, affect the two parties and get them to change their positions. Um, I guess... And, and Weld has this little glint in his eye like, I just want to get in the game and see what happens because it's such an unusual year. Right. Um, but you're right. I mean, when it, it was qu- quite dramatic when uh, Cuomo asked them, you know, to one word, how, what do you think of 
of Trump or Clinton and, and Weld, it, it, they almost never used one word, but Weld did a much better job than Johnson. For Clinton, he goes, real bond, lifelong, no kidding, and, and just flat out. And then with Trump, he said, huckster. Um, so that proves your point, Michael, that, you know, they clearly have a, you know, he's on, he's on their hit list. They're, they're trying to take him down. Whereas Hillary, Weld said many times that she's very qualified, lifelong bond, you know, on and on. Um, but on a couple other things I want to ask, get your thoughts. Weld, the one thing I didn't understand was they were talking about foreign policy and uh, Johnson saying we're not going to intervene. And what would you? And he was asked, "What would you do in Syria?" And he just sort of says, "We shouldn't have intervened because that created ISIS by the instability uh, in Syria." And then Weld says, "I want to get a one thousand man force in the, I guess, the FBI or something, to go after ISIS and take them out like they're an organized crime gang." And I didn't know what he was talking about there. What? What is? What is a? Yeah, I. I have a little insight just because I happened to pick up on this last week. The Washington Post had actually a story when, when Weld came out with this. And uh, it was after the Orlando uh, shootings. And what he was saying is that we're going to really take them out through, this is domestic intelligence, and that, and that what we really need since uh, these shooters seem to be sort of springing up, you know, spontaneously uh. as lone wolves, is that we need this massive deployment by the FBI to try to develop contacts within the Muslim community in the U.S. to try to get better intelligence. Uh, it sort of flies in the face a little bit of the facts of that story because that guy actually was on their radar. They had interviewed him, but I think he's saying in general he was trying to say, you know, we're going to be able to sort of uh, head off these kind of extremists by working with the Muslim-majority community in the U.S. So in fact, when he talked about it in the Washington Post, it was funny. He made a reference to uh, Boston neighborhood-based effort back in the 80s that was sort of uh, an effort to get people to, to, to uh, drop a dime, was the name of it, drop a dime on drug dealers and gangbangers, and Weld kind of reached back. That was kind of his frame of reference for when he was last in the game, but he said we need something like that where you enlist the community on behalf of an effort to, to clamp down on things. So, But it wasn't very well. I mean, if you hadn't read that Washington Post story, you didn't know what he was talking about, I agree. And one last thing before we close. Did you think he looked awfully red in the face during that, during his thing? I thought he, I thought it almost matched his hair. Uh, I don't know if it was the makeup or he was just sort of perspiring or what, but that was the only thing that was off about him. Um, yeah, I guess, as you say it, of course he was, he's known as Big Red, so we thought that was just the hair color, uh, but I guess maybe it's the full, uh, the, the whole deal. The whole deal. I've got no polling on that. you got no polling. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Um, thanks to Steve Cazella, Michael Jonas, and I'm Bruce Mole. Join us again uh, next week for our next podcast. Follow us at uh, on iTunes and SoundCloud. And thanks to Lear Johansson, our executive producer. Just the two of us. We can make it if we try.